Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. We're back in the Gospel of Luke, so open up uh, to Luke 7, and I'm so just excited to even read the story. So as you turn there, I'm just going to pray one more time, probably multiple times. Lord, we need all of the prayers. <laughs> I'm just going to pray, actually, up here the whole time. God, uh, thank you, Jesus, for what you've already done. God, thank you for your people in this room. Thank you for the people listening. God, wherever they're at, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just open up their hearts. God, open up their eyes and their ears. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. (laughs) So we come with eager expectation. Lord, today, would you restore worth and value in your people in a new way? God, we just silence any voice of the enemy that says you're unworthy, God, and we receive the worthiness of Christ in your name, Jesus, that the cross changes everything. Lord, that this isn't just a Sunday event. God, this is our bread and our wine to come and commune with you, Lord. So we want to hear from you, Jesus. Come and speak to our hearts, Lord. We want to go where you're going, Lord. We will wait on you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So today... The theme, what I have for you, is that faith that makes God marvel is seeing him as the one with all the power and authority, which might sound repetitive at this point because I feel like that already happened in worship, (laughs) just all of the glory and power and authority to King Jesus. And as you put him in that space, as you put him on the throne in your mind, in your heart, as you declare that he's already there and you come under that authority, um, dead things come to life. And so today I'm praying that we actually get the fear of the Lord again in a new way, um, in such a way that we're moved to new degrees of devotion. I believe the Holy Spirit's already doing that. Um, And we're going to rejoice in the truth that the freedom of the gospel of Jesus is for everyone demonstrated in this story. Okay, so Luke 7, 1 through 10 is our story today. Um, In the last few weeks, have been so fun to hear the teachings of Jesus, hear about different parables. This is our first action scene that we get to step into. Um, So starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. My first question for you today is how do you approach God? Just a baseline question. What do you approach God? How do you approach God? Um, one of the words in here, my translation that I just read said amazed, but some of your Bibles might say marveled or was astonished. This is one of the few moments in scripture that it records Jesus was amazed at something or he marveled at something. And that immediately caught my attention. Lord, I want to live a, a life with faith that causes you to marvel. Um, so we're going to dive into that and we're going to kind of expand on that point, um, starting with the centurion. So what is a centurion? Does anybody know? Just kidding. It's a rhetorical question. You can't ask rhetorical questions, by the way, with middle schoolers. That's one thing I learned as a middle school deacon. It's like any sort of question, they'll, they'll definitely answer. Some of them are here, they know. Um, but it actually turned into some of the most fun conversations. So ask questions anyway. What is a centurion? I pictured the Mandalorian, if there's any Star Wars fans in here. That's what came to my mind as I was reading the scriptures. Um, but a centurion is a soldier who rose uh, to the top in the ranks of the Roman army. They tended to be brave, very intelligent. They had to stand out and rise above the rest. They were the cream of the crop in the Roman army. And they got to lead like 80 to 90 to 100 um, soldiers. And so this centurion in Rome was of the highest value in the Roman authority, but he considered himself unworthy to approach Jesus. Instead of going himself, he sends the Jews on his behalf. And what do the Jewish leaders think? They say, oh, this guy is definitely worthy. He loves our nation and he gives us a synagogue. Definitely worthy. Um, I want to be careful, though, to make any assumptions because Jesus actually doesn't say anything to the very end, and we'll get there. Um, but Jesus goes with them and the centurion uh, also is in a culture where uh, it was not common practice to try to save a servant who was broken or hurt or needed healing. Basically, Rome said, if your, your slave or your servant isn't useful anymore, you have the legal right to kill them. And so even his approach to Jesus came out of a place of, whoa, I actually love my servant. It says in the text that this uh, leader, he saw value in his servant where the Roman government didn't. And so he approached Christ as a merciful uh, God who has all of the authority, even more authority than Rome. So then, if Rome views servanthood as disposable, how does God view servanthood? How does Jesus see the value of a servant? Mark 10, 42 through 45 says this. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, listen, guys, you don't lord your authority over people. I came to serve and give my life, and so shall you. 
And the Jews were with Jesus daily, right? There's a constant question in their mind is, is this guy really who he says he is? Is all of this real? Is he really the Messiah? And here comes a Gentile, a Roman soldier, who can see Jesus in the authority that he really, truly has. So here is a Gentile who grasped a kingdom concept before Christ had found that same concept in Israel. How beautiful. And it says in the text that the centurion, he merely heard about Jesus. He just heard about Jesus. And it doesn't say what he heard. It could have just been like maybe he heard about the teachings. But if you recall a few weeks ago, you can go listen to the podcast Bria taught on it. There was a story of some friends dropping down a paralyzed man um, through a roof to this man named Jesus. And Jesus forgave him of his sins and he said, get up and walk. And that, I think, sent ripples through all of Rome and all of, uh, we're not really in Rome in here, but you know what I mean. The centurion sees Jesus as a warrior king, as the highest ranking official in all of creation, so much that sickness and death yield, demons flee, storms cease, and all of this power and authority came to us in the form of a servant. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, and actually I want to slow down. I felt like this, I wanted to like pray over us as a community, um, because the first verse is let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So if you want to take a moment and just either close your eyes or put your heart in it in, in place of receiving, this is our God. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is powerful. I, there's, a, there's a line in there that says, uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I've never never seen that before. I've read this passage a lot, but the total authority that Jesus has in all things, we need a bigger vision of that. Lord Jesus, give us a bigger vision of your authority over all things. Notice also that in, in our story, Jesus actually never says you're healed to the servant. The only thing he says is at the very end when he marvels at the faith of the centurion that he hasn't found it in all of Israel. So proximity doesn't matter so much as I think we tend to think when it comes to approaching God for other people. Even in Jesus' physical absence in the story, the centurion shows up and declares, I know who you are. You have all the authority. What you say says go goes. Um, could it be that a mere confession of Christ's worthiness and authority invites God's power to heal, invites his power to come and meet people? He confesses his unworthiness. The centurion confesses his unworthiness, and then he asks. I think sometimes we can approach God in a way where it's like, okay, Lord, like I really want this to happen, but I'll just wait to see if you also want that to happen instead of actually asking him for it. For instance, um, 
Uh, maybe you're praying for somebody who doesn't know the Lord yet, and you're just praying, but you're never actually like, oh, I, I hope that one day they find Jesus, but you're not actively asking him to show up to them. Imagine if you start praying with the faith of the centurion, where you're approaching Jesus daily, you're approaching him in your morning time with him, and, and you're compelled to say, hey, Lord, my friend needs help. Like, they need the hope of Jesus. They need who you are. And maybe, maybe he does something crazy. Maybe he gives you a word to go and tell them uh, from him. But don't forget to ask. Don't be a bystander. We are actively participating in the kingdom coming to earth. That's what we're doing here. I, too, am a man set under authority. We, too, are people set under the authority of Jesus. And that should free us up. I think sometimes we kind of, we, we think a little too much of ourselves and being like, oh man, I wouldn't be able to do that. I can't go to Spain. That's way too far away. I've never wanted to be a missionary. A couple weeks ago, I think Alex mentioned from up here that he never wanted to be a pastor. Yeah, and I was like, that's a dangerous thing to say. If you tell the Lord, I would never want to fill in the blank, you are basically confessing your unworthiness and asking him to ask you to go do something that's beyond yourself. So yeah, back in, um, I think, to, to give a little context, context as a family of um, why Barcelona and why I'm going to Spain, um, I've been a soccer player for all my life, and I've been a coach. Um, and I love in the, in the story that the centurion, he comes to the Lord kind of from his paradigm as a soldier. He's like, okay, I understand authority because I like see authority. I see how it works here. Um, and so I really believe that God has given you passions and desires, even outside like ministry, that he wants to use to like give a revelation, a new revelation to the world of who he is. Um, and so for me, I guess it was soccer, which I didn't think, again, didn't think it was possible. I was a junior in high school and I rededicated my life to the Lord and um, two things kind of came out of that. I was like, okay, God, you know better than I do on how to run my life. So like, what do you want to do? Like, what should we do? Um, and he gave me youth ministry and soccer. And my first instinct was soccer. Like, you don't care about sports. Like sports aren't very spiritual. Um, apparently everything is spiritual. Another plug for another teaching about the sacramental view of the world. Anyway. Um, so I have a story. I have a story from, uh, playing soccer. Hannah and I were actually teammates. That's how our friendship was forged, which is just crazy, again, for our friendship story. Um, and side note, <laughs> we're really going off in different directions. This church is built on friendships. Saints Hill came out of, like, the friendship of Jake, Andoni, Alex, Bria. There's friends that the Lord was like, hey, guys, let's go do this thing. I'm moving. Will you say yes to me? Um, so we're a family that builds families. You're, meet, you're in relationship with people here today where you're going to go do something, a move of God that you didn't think was possible. So just keep that in mind with, with all this. But anyway, Han, I love you, buddy. Um, okay, so we were on a soccer team together. And my senior year, we ended up going to a national tournament, which is crazy, very fun. Um, and the first game was against the number one seed. So they were basically ranked to beat us and take the ship. Um, we actually weren't even supposed to be in this tournament. We had lost in our regional um, tournament, but by the grace of God and the strength of our schedule, we got an automatic bid, which means that you, in fact, did get to go. But even in that, y'all, like, my heart got pruned right between there when I thought soccer was over, um, but for the better. Anyway, okay, so we're at this tournament. We're not supposed to win, and um, 
uh, I go down in the box. I get fouled in the box. Do Raise your hand if you understand soccer. Nice. Okay, I will educate you on the other parts of soccer. If you go down in the box, um, there's a penalty kick. It's basically like a free throw in basketball. It's essentially like a free goal. Um, and usually coaches won't designate somebody to take the penalty kick because um, it's thought commonly that like who, whatever player has the confidence and like desire to score, they're the safest bet. And so you like wait to see who chooses to do it. And our team in, in um, a couple weeks earlier, we had lost in, in penalty kicks. Um, five of my teammates like either lost or got blocked. And my coach asked me before, and I'm really bad at penalty kicks. I'm like, I'm very bad at penalty kicks. And she asked me, she said, will you take one of them? And I said, no, I don't want that weight. No, I'm not gonna take that penalty kick. And then I remember though, in that moment on the field during the game, when I was waiting to see, I was looking around at my teammates to say, who's gonna take it? Like, who's gonna step up? And then all of a sudden I had this like understanding and who knows if it was the Holy Spirit, just my, my thoughts, but I was like, I have to take this penalty kick because I don't want any of my teammates to carry the weight of shame or of pain or disappointment if they miss it. And in the same breath, also understanding, I can score this penalty kick. Like it was like a dual understanding of like, I also wanna win. And so, um, I took the penalty kick and the Lord taught me in that moment, that's like servant leadership in a sense. That's the leadership of Jesus that we just read out of Philippians, that he came to die for us. He took all of the shame, all of the pain, all of the like, basically you can't fail with him. Like he did it all. And so if you take him at his word and live under that authority, you're not, you're not gonna fail. So anyway, I got the, I, got, I made the goal. <laughs> <laughs> the goalkeeper got a couple fingers on it, but we, we beat the number one uh, seed and we went on to win a national championship, which is crazy. And I remember after that thinking, I was like, wow, Lord, like after four years, and I know there's like athletes who go to St. Hill and stuff, after four years of like trying for this thing and then you accomplish it, and you can even see this in sports, you can see this in career, you can see this everywhere. It's pretty good, but it's like not fully satisfying. Like there has to be more. So I remember like when soccer was over, asking the Lord, like, what do you want? Like, I want to do whatever you want to do. I want your glory. I don't want my own glory because it's, it's really a, it doesn't have like a lasting effect. I want the eternal lasting effect of the glory of Jesus over my life. So I'm going to Barcelona with not a huge plan, um, but something even out of this passage is you don't really need much of a plan other than the approach to Jesus and understanding what he says goes. <laughs> and so there's not really a way to fail with him because he has all of the authority. And often when he calls us to something we think is impossible, he's actually positioning your heart in a really good way that you get to confess, I'm not actually worthy. I'm really bad at follow-up and at newsletters. <laughs> I'm not worthy to go as a missionary. I need you to reteach me how to do that in a way that is from you and not from the culture that I'm in, not from other things that I've seen before. I need you to tell me how to live my life and how to go. I tell you, I have not found such a great faith even in Israel. The Jews were constantly questioning, are you, is this really you, Jesus? Are you as good as you say you are? We should be welcoming into our lives authority, the grateful invitation of his correction and confessing that most of the time we might not know what we're doing, but he does all of the time. Psalm 33, six through nine says this, 
The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the ocean in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. Give us fear of the Lord, Jesus. We can't do anything from our own authority. Christ has walked from life to death, back to life again, and into eternity, and that is our same trajectory. May we have eternity burned on our eyes to see beyond our current circumstance. The first time I even like had a thought about Spain, there's actually um, a missionary who came and preached at my youth group, and this one thing he said stuck on my eyes. He actually prayed for us to have eternity burned on our eyes. And again, at that time in my life, I was not thinking, like, again, didn't want to be a missionary, didn't want to be a pastor even at that point. And so, but that, even that concept, that's not a, that's an all of us concept. May we have eternity burned on our eyes that every day you go to work, every day you show up to family events, every day you say yes to a crazy thing, that you're not doing it for a resume, you're not doing it for um, like to prove yourself to anybody, but you're seeing into eternity that God is doing something here. And I want to say yes to him. I want to see the kingdom come. And I really believe that there's a movement coming out of Saints Hill that is already happening, actually. I just talked to Nick, what, Nick, uh, not Nick, oh my gosh, Will. I don't know, I thought your name was Nick Will. <laughs> Will just came back from Nicaragua. Also, our friend Grace is in Nicaragua. Um, if you know the Mosher sisters, they were just traveling around Europe. Um, and so there's a heart for the nations and this people. And I'm not surprised because it's all throughout the scriptures that if you love the Lord, if you want to see his kingdom, it says every tribe and tongue will confess that he is the Lord. And so there is something in our hearts to witness to every part of the globe, Newburgh in particular and beyond. Um, and uh, there's a story that the Lord kind of highlighted as I was asking him, what does that look like to be part of global revival, to be a part of a renewal of the church that isn't just here but beyond? Because um, like I said, Hannah and I showed up. We're like, Lord, we want to see what you're doing in the church. And we believe God is moving in Newburgh. And we've seen him move in Newburgh in crazy ways. And is, he is continuing to do it. Um, okay, so Acts 10 and 11, I'm just going to recap uh, and kind of skip a little bit. In Acts 10, there's another centurion. His name is Cornelius, and he shows up. Uh, he, it says that he was God-fearing um, and gave generously. And so essentially, this man, he's a Gentile, a non-Jew in Acts, and an angel shows up to him and says, go find Peter. Peter, meanwhile, has a prophetic vision. He essentially sees a sheet come down from heaven with unclean foods. So in Jewish uh, law, you weren't allowed to eat certain things. And God tells him, kill and eat. And he says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. Um, and God says to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Then he goes, he sends people, just like the, the passage for today, Cornelius sends some friends to go to Peter. Peter. Peter welcomes them into his house with hospitality. That's something that I've seen the Lord move here in this house is, is hospitality. Shout out to many of our friends who know how to host the Lord and invite people into that. We're not trying to go out in such a way that we're like going beyond the, the movement of the Holy Spirit. We want to wait for the Lord. We want to invite people into what he's doing. Um, and then 
Peter ends up going and he preaches the gospel um, to these God-fearing people. Um, so I'm going to put up Acts 10, 34 through 43. Nice. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There are people waiting to hear about Jesus. And the people who went to tell them came from a place of communion with God. They were the people who ate and drank with Jesus, and then they went. There's no sweatiness in the kingdom, like is something we like to say here. It's not the level of your effort that's going to win people to the Lord. It's how close are you to Jesus? How do you see his face? Are you pursuing him in the secret place? Because he has things for us there. That's what compels us. That's what compels us. And for this, for this faith that causes Jesus to marvel, we need a renewed vision of Jesus, the image of God. We need a re renewed image of who we serve. Um, worship, as many of you guys know, who probably uh, come often, worship often goes where the Lord goes. And so sometimes I was just talking to Anna, who's doing slides, and she's like, yeah, there's a lot of different spontaneous moments that we need to throw lyrics up. And that is so fun. And it's crazy because... Um, we're about to read something that we were singing just over and over again. And I heard somebody recently say that we're the only ones that get tired of repetition. <laughs> like, in eternity, the glory of God is so beautiful that, like, repetition doesn't get old. Like, it doesn't get old to, to just see Jesus again. It doesn't get old to remember the goodness of the gospel and what salvation really feels like. And so we're going to read out of Revelation um, for a picture of Jesus. Um, And this is Revelation 1, 17 through 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So right there was, was a picture of Jesus. And the initial response is, oh my gosh, like, We should be afraid. And he says, don't be afraid. Like all the fear of God. Fear of God, I think, sometimes gets misconstrued. It's awe and wonder. It's seeing him in, in the greatness and the glory of who he actually is. That every trial that you're coming up against, that's scary to you. You just need to look at the Lord again. And then fear leaves because he's way more, like, uh, he's way more powerful than whatever thing you're trying to, to go through. And so the saints, they sing a new song as response to this in Revelation 5. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. 
And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. The word worthy there is the same word that we read in this passage today. It's axios, and it means to hold weight, to hold value. There's so many people, even in this room, like I really believe the Lord is going to restore worth in you today. If you feel like you need a new picture of like your worthiness, of how worthy you are, axios means weight. To have worth is to hold weight. So Christ's sacrifice, if he is the most worthy in all creation and he went to die for you, that's your worth. You have the equal worth. You have the exchange of the king of kings, the Lord of all creation. And so if you ever think that you're not worthy for anything, that is a lie. You have immense value and worth, not because you just said, I have immense value and worth, but because there was an action behind that. Jesus actually laid his life down for you, and so your worth is set in him. Not by the world, not by cultural standards. Your worth is set in him. You can't be full of yourself in the presence of God because there wouldn't be much space for him to pour his spirit into. So as we empty ourselves, as we confess that we're, we're unworthy outside of you, Jesus, but we need to receive worth from you, that's fear of the Lord. That's a humility that doesn't cause you to recoil and hide. That's a humility that causes you to approach. Just like 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18 says, uh, now the, where the Lord is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Uh, when we first moved into this building, uh, we came from Northside, for those of you who are new. We came from another um, church in the evenings, and it was really cozy and dark. <laughs> you could hide and worship. When I was a young person, I used to, uh, uh, like, I would have pastors say, like, come to the front and worship, and I would go immediately to the back, because I would want to be, I don't want anybody seeing, like, me just, like, going crazy in worship for the Lord, and when we moved here, um, there was this really beautiful pre-gathering um, worship, or pre-gathering prayer, where that was the theme, that we're moving into a season of exposure, where there's so much light here that, like, usually I get to approach God and kind of, like, in my own secret place, like, weep with him alone, and this has been a season of exposure in a beautiful way where you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to hold back. You don't have to, um, you don't have to be worried about what people think because when you see his authority, when you approach him in a way that makes him marvel, nothing else matters. And there is freedom there. So may we see Jesus as he truly is. At the end of his life, at the end of this life, God, uh, sorry, at the end of Job's life, God blessed him even more than what he had lost. Lost, And Job says this, my ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. There was a centurion that had been hearing about Jesus, that had been hearing about this God with all the authority, and he wanted to see him. Are you hungry today to see Jesus move in your life in a new way? Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.